0: Hello everyone and welcome today to our podcast of the Balancing Act from Security Compass. Threat modeling is a critical part of securing our software. We all know that. And it's through threat modeling that we are able to identify our threats, recommend mitigations, reduce the likelihood of an attack. But the challenge is how do we construct such a program? Where does the value come from? How do we engage our developers? And to talk about these things, joining us today is Krish Raja, who works at Kroll. And Krish, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Sure. Thanks so much, Altaz, for, for having me. Happy to participate. I, uh, I started, actually, as a software developer uh, after graduating from, uh, from university. My first three years were spent uh, at IBM as a, as a developer. Uh, working primarily as, as a Java developer, building a, a Java Enterprise Edition systems. And I did that for about three years before I actually stepped into the world of uh, cybersecurity, uh, doing so at Security Compass. So I had actually graduated with, um, with Rohit who uh, who is the current CEO at Security Compass, and uh, after three years doing development, uh, stepped into this brave new world of cybersecurity, uh at a consulting firm that was only six people i was the sixth person to join and the benefit of joining a uh a company of that size if you can if you can sort of stomach maybe the 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 risks of doing so is that you have a lot of opportunity and so i was wearing many many different hats for many years working as a consultant primarily on the offensive security side so doing a lot of penetration testing but also a lot of instructor-led training and, and code reviews and um, you know, some, some elements of, of research as we tried to build our own methodology from a, from a fledgling company. And I spent uh, eight years as a, as a consultant uh, executing a lot of these projects for different clients in Canada and the United States. Um, with, my, with my background in development, I, I leaned a little bit more towards the application security side. That was a bit more of, of my strengths rather than on, let's say, the infrastructure side or other domains of security. And I did get uh, the privilege of of being involved with some application security programs for some larger financial institutions, both in Canada and the United States, and uh, learned a lot from being a part of those initiatives. So that was a a really valuable experience for my career. And uh, after about eight years as a consultant, I stepped into more of the leadership style. So um, uh, led members of a team for for three years as a director. And then the last uh, four years, I would say, um, since transitioning over to Kroll, I've been in a managing director role, so I would have uh, some leaders report to me, and we we execute a lot of the strategy for for our practice and our firm. And um, so, while I'm not uh, involved in the in the day to day execution, I certainly um, oversee some elements of that and and, and get to to collaborate and and, um, and and speak to a lot of people who um, try to execute a lot of these initiatives from the the offensive side, but also a little bit on the defensive side.
0: It's mm, great. It sounds like you've got a a wealth of experience, and I think. It's something that our listeners would be very interested in, and maybe we can just dive right into this, Krish. I mean, you know, we talk about threat modeling, um, and there's a group of people that construct these threat models, and we're trying to identify potential attacks um, through certain vulnerabilities that exist. Uh, but let me just back up a second how, how can we get threat modelers? to help our developers, what are some things that threat modelers can do to help bridge the gap between understanding things from an attacker's perspective or from a defensive perspective, translating that into a group that works on a day-to-day basis with code?
1: So I think it's it's, it's interesting because we're, we're taking people on both sides who are highly technical um, and usually the, the, the glue that I find that really helps in these situations is, is a degree of, of empathy. I think understanding that um, if you're primarily a consultant, let's say in the offensive or defensive security domain, um, you're usually not the, the core implementer. You're, you're trying to drive things forward, uh, but you really need to rely on other people uh, to do that level of implementation. So from my perspective, I found that the more I understood uh, what the day-to-day tasks are of let's say a developer or an architect or a scrum master or somebody else who are building these systems uh, looks like, uh, the more that I can translate things that I think need to be done with respect to threat modeling into actionable items for them uh, to execute and and for them to find value in, in doing so. Uh, I think there's lots of charts and graphs and, and um, directives that, um, that are meaningful that people uh, try to elicit over the years uh, where you can, you can present statistics um, that, that show how much more costly it is to, to, to fix things after the fact. And I don't think anyone disagrees with those things. But instead, if you can uh, translate that more towards when you're building your systems this way, and this is how um, your sprint cycles look like and how they work, um, and here's how I can sort of step in to fill those gaps and when I can actually do threat modeling, I think that's where people will, will be able to absorb that more into their routine and, and, and that can actually help them out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, really stepping into the day-to-day activities um, of a team that works in, in, for example, stories, if it's, if it's an Agile team, how do we deconstruct the recommendations, uh, countermeasures and mitigations that we're recommending put that in a format that is digestible to them uh, from a day-to-day perspective. It's it's interesting to to watch um, how teams are beginning to to do that now and and to build that bridge as as you were describing. Um, You're you're now really looking at things from a program perspective in your role today, Krish. Uh, If you were to look at value creation of a threat modeling program, how how do you go about arguing for the fact that threat modeling is in fact important to the business and it will create value? If that's the question that comes up and it often does, how do we go about constructing a good argument for why threat modeling is good?
1: That's a great question because I I think on the surface people probably understand that it, it comes down to cost. And, and how it can save you costs in the long run for a little bit of upfront up investment. But the challenge, and that's not specific to threat modeling, but it's 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 like anything that you're introducing that might be new or on top of something that you're already doing, is making that upfront investment. It's, it's even just like training people um, so that you're not a single point of failure. Um, you have to make that investment upfront to train the person and know that things will get a little bit heavier uh, before they get a little bit lighter. So I think, um, most people understand that um, if, we're, if we're hiring somebody because we're, we're short of capacity, no matter what kind of team it is, uh, whether it's developers, consultants, marketing, sales, you might need more people because it's a good thing. You have a lot more to do and your existing team can't handle it. People intrinsically know that that means these people may not come with the same experience. Well, certainly wouldn't come with the same exact same experience that you have, um, but you need to invest that time into training them uh, for, for those longer-term gains. And I think it's something similar on, on the threat modeling side. I think the interesting thing about threat modeling too is that um, when you're on the offense um, or on the defense, um, if I just take offense as an example, people actually do threat modeling all the time. It's just that they're not necessarily formalizing the process. Um, you're used to, as an attacker, building these threats. Maybe they're just in your mind. Maybe you're just taking notes into into OneNote or Notepad or something else for things that you're gonna try out later as you're doing an assessment. Um, And and so you're already actually doing the work, but what you're able to do with uh, an element of threat modeling is to do a bit of knowledge sharing so that other people understand what you're gonna be looking at as an attacker's perspective. And then those people can um, review those and on the development side, possibly translate those into defense. Okay, if I know that that's what people are gonna often the first five things that they're gonna to try to do to attack a system that I've built, um, I can translate that into defense that I, that I can build. And so we all know that um, building in your defenses, your defensive capability from the start is, uh, is what's going to save you in the long term. Uh, I think it's just a matter of identifying how you can do that in, in fashions uh, such as this, that, um, that'll really help make that a bit more of a reality.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and so there are, um, in my experience, you know, we've got communities like OpenSSF, Linux Foundation. Um, they're doing some some great work in this. Um, Oasis Open is doing some work around this as well to try and help us to uh, bridge the gap um, and really through that determine how we can create value um, as it comes to aligning with what the business needs are. And it's going to be different for each organization, right? For some Uh, speed to market is going to be extremely important. And then there will be others where they really need to take a look at legacy investments. Um, And so some of the work that's being done at the Open Group or on Zero Trust, for example, starts to come in. And and these are all tied in together, as you said, Krish. We are talking about threat modeling, um, but there are ways to go out there and to gather this information uh, from a number of different sources. But the work is being done, even though it may not be formally called a threat modeling program, for example. Um, in your opinion, when you've observed um, organizations, teams that are trying to create a threat modeling program, um, what have you seen as the common pitfalls? Any any pearls of wisdom for our listeners um, that they should watch out for?
1: I think... You know, based on on my experience, and, and, and perhaps a lot of people can relate to this, um, a lot of times we, we try to be perfectionists, especially if it's something where you're tasked with with training others, let's say in this case, uh, in threat modeling. So you're trying to teach people how to do something, and then you, you might um, habitually move towards a perfect end-to-end process. Um, if there are, let's say, five steps or seven steps uh, or 10 steps that you've identified in your experience, uh, on how to execute threat modeling successfully. Your habit might be to, to define and document and train everybody on all of those 10 steps um, to ensure that uh, you've got a thorough program and, and, and everybody's got uh, a complete set of training. What I've found is, uh, especially in, in, in today's world where, where there's such a emphasis on a speed to market for, for good reason, I think the more you can build those things out iteratively um, is uh, is where you can start to see those gains much more quickly. Uh, I think things like threat modeling uh, in my in my world a lot of times penetration testing as well are seen as important but also bottlenecks and it's hard to fit those things in and they don't necessarily always translate to uh, the speed for the speed to market right and so if you're able to sort of build elements of of steps and train people, um, but then bring them along your journey while you're building the rest. I think that's, um, that's, what's going to be more helpful, uh, to avoid those pitfalls of taking too long, uh, to get started. I think the faster you can actually get started with something, um, the more open people will be, uh, to, to, to be able to, 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 join you on that journey. Because I, I think, a lot of times I've found that um, I've waited too long to get something started uh, to make sure that I've, I've worked out all of the kinks. And um, you'd be surprised at how pleased people might be to start with two steps instead of having all five of them ready. Um, so they get a taste of, of of what this is going to look like. And they'll actually give you some initial feedback, right? Stuff that you maybe could have applied to those first two steps rather than waiting until the end when they've seen all five steps. And now you're 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 getting an insight into step one and step two that you maybe could have achieved earlier. Um, So the sooner you can start with something that's um, good enough but not perfect, uh, I think the and make those expectations clear that this is an iterative process. uh, I think the the better you'll be in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's the incremental building uh, rather than trying to to force something that that maybe is too big of a leap. Uh, Really taking more of an architectural approach and looking at it from the point of view of of building the essential um building blocks and the capabilities and then uh emerging from there chris um where do you see threat modeling headed now in the future um you know we're, we're seeing this convergence or at least this um empathy beginning to rise between threat modelers and developers and you know but but where do you see the practice of threat modeling headed any thoughts any any um ideas on that
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting because when I first started my career, I think it was a very tough sell for people to wrap their heads around threat modeling and adopting it into into their practice because it was a very paper-based exercise when I started, Um, at least in the terms of putting it into a document and you'd have documents out there that would would capture um, these ideas and these threats. And now we're starting to see these become, let's say, integrated more into into systems that people are, are using, where they can pull out requirements and pull out threats, and um, and and review these threats as well. If you're building something in particular, and and you can you can have them alongside, let's say, your user stories that you're building. So I think um, I think it's going to grow because because of things like the the software security framework, where these are um, governance policies that are that are highlighting the importance of of doing things that uh, that can have you comply with some of these frameworks, number one. And then number two, I think the more we can automate elements uh, of threat modeling uh, and and companies that can help support you with those sorts of tools, uh, that's just gonna be a game changer. Uh, We're already seeing some tools out there that can help this. And and I'm sure um, as the adoption of threat modeling grows, uh, the need to update and upgrade those tools um, will similarly grow. And so that level of automation is going to be um, is going to be key to getting people uh, on board with threat modeling.
0: That's wonderful, Krish. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Um, to our listeners, please do check us out for some additional podcasts at podcast.securitycompass.com. Have yourselves an excellent day.
1: Thanks so much, everyone.